need a handout for the sermon. If you need a copy of that, I could use one if I get one, John. Other than that, I think we're good this morning. Or it looks like Eddie's got one. Eddie can get me one. Thank you. We're good to go, I think. All right. Take your Bibles this morning. We are going to go to Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. Man, they're rushing to see. The ushers are in a contest this morning. Who can get to who the fastest? I haven't seen John move like that in years. And so hopefully you didn't hurt yourself right there. Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. We're starting the beginning of chapter number 9. And so when you think of Jesus' life, the life that he lived. And I know that a lot of times our minds will go to his death, his burial, his resurrection, which it should. During his earthly ministry, is there a time that sticks out in your mind more than the others of something that Jesus did? I want you to think on that for a second. And then on the count of three, I want you just to say it. So I want to make sure you're awake this morning. So think of something Jesus did during his life that sticks out to you. And does, does everybody have one? Can you think of something? All right, so on the count of three, I want to hear you say it. Here we go. One, two, three. Wow, that was, that was a lot of effort right there. So I heard the maniac of Gadara. I heard Jesus wept. Is that what I heard? And I heard a uh, few others there. The event we're looking at today Peter mentions 30 years after it happened. This really stuck out in Peter's mind. The Bible tells us in, first, in 2 Peter 1, verse 16 through 18, For we have not followed cunning devised fables when we were known unto you the power, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And look what it says here. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. Peter and his buddies, James and John, when we were with him in the Holy Mount about 30 years after this took place. The Mount of Transfiguration. They were eyewitnesses of the power, the majesty, the honor, and the glory of Jesus Christ. As we continue on in our series here, I just love how the book of Mark, just the flow of it, how it just goes from one event to the next event, just continues on before us. Last week, we looked at discipleship and the cost of discipleship. Mark 8.34 told us, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We looked at last week how we're to line up our desires. We're to, de we're to deny ourselves, die to sin, and devote ourselves to following the Lord. And as we look at this passage today, we see Jesus for who he truly is. Now in all reality, when he came to earth, he came to earth and he tented or he tabernacled here for a little bit of time. He dwelt among us. And so he put on a temporary thing. In this passage today, we see Jesus for who he truly is. It was unveiled here. 
My messages that we've done through the book of Mark, a lot of times we'll have some main points, and then we will have some application points. There are no application points this morning. The message and my aim this morning in the message is for us just to get a glimpse of Jesus this morning. And for you to leave this place this morning more in awe of the one who created you, the one who loved you, the one who died for you. That's my aim this morning through the message. We look at Mark chapter 9, verse number 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There shall be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into the high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto him Elias with Moses, and they were talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must, come, must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first, and restoreth all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught? But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as is written of him. Father, I pray that you'd bless the next few minutes we have this morning. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. And I pray this morning that as we approach these scriptures, that as we look to you and see you high and lifted up, and as we see you for who you are this morning, I pray that as we're here this morning that we could get a little glimpse of you today. Be a little bit more in awe of the wonder of who you truly are this morning. I pray that you would guide us, help us this morning, we need you, we love you, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I sincerely believe that as the disciples, these three, caught a glimpse of Jesus and his glory, it would motivate them to do what they did for him through their lives. See, I believe that if we all could catch a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ, it will motivate us together. It'll motivate us to grow. It'll motivate us to give like we've never done before. 
I like this quote that A.W. Towser wrote in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He said, what comes into our minds when you think about God is the most important thing about us. The cause of many of our modern spiritual woes is the loss in today's church of a lofty concept of God. And he argues persuasively that the cure lies in our rediscovering the majesty of who God is. I hope today that by the end of the message and by the time that we're here, and I hope for a few minutes this morning that you can set aside all that you're thinking about, all that you have planned for the rest of the day, whatever's going on, and that you could just get a hold of for a few minutes this morning the bigness of God. That you get a hold of the majesty of Jesus Christ, the greatness, His goodness, and His glory this morning. And as we dive deeper into this passage, I want you to realize something this morning. We serve a big God today. Far greater than you can ever imagine is our God today. And the disciples here, for a couple minutes, got to see His flesh taken away. And they got to see Jesus Christ for who he truly was. And they were sore afraid, the Bible tells us. I'm going to give you the background of the story, and then we're going to dive deeper and look deeper at Jesus this morning. So for the first few minutes, we're just going to set the background, and then we'll dive into our notes. As we look at this, we see that Jesus is still in that area of Caesarea Philippi. When, he, when these words were written and says in verse number 2 that after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John. Now it was not unusual for the Lord to take these three disciples. If you remember Jairus, his daughter, these three were along with him. And they were kind of like the inner circle of disciples. And uh, they were invited to be with Jesus when he poured out his heart on the Mount of Olives as well. And so it was not an unusual thing. But this encounter that's taking place here, this was for their benefit. If you notice some words that are used through these first few verses, you see that it was before them. Verse number 4, appeared unto them. And verse number 7, God the Father tells them to listen to Him. And as we look at these things and we see these followers of Jesus, see Jesus for who He is, we see the fact that Jesus led them up on high mountain apart by themselves now we're not told what mountain this is there are people who believe that it's mount tabor is the is the mountain where it is but it's kind of a low mountain i don't know that it actually could be it that's where they say the traditional site would be and now you know personally i would say mount Hermon is probably where i would say it would be but at the end of the day i wasn't there and you weren't there and so it doesn't really matter what we think, right? We know what happened. That's the thing that matters. And, and when we look at the scriptures in the parallel accounts of this passage in Luke chapter number 9, we see in verse 28 that Jesus took these three up to pray and they fell asleep. The Bible tells us in Luke 9:32, but Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. Man, a lot of us have something in common with the Lord, don't we? I mean, with uh, Peter, James, and John. We like to sleep in things during prayer. And uh, how many of you ever fall asleep when you're praying? Be honest this morning. Be honest. Yes, yes, it happens. 
And so I find myself at times I have to just stand when I pray because sometimes I'll be kneeling and then I'll fall asleep because my head's still in a soft place and I'll fall asleep in the middle of prayer. And they'll be like, man, I prayed two hours. First thing, I, dear Jesus, last thing I remember saying amen when I woke up. That was two hours of prayer through my sleep. And uh, what we see as we look at this, they're getting ready for a mountaintop experience here with the Lord. And they just needed to wake up. They were tired. They were sleepy. We see number one this morning as we dive into the message. We see number one, we see the splendor of, or I, was number one supposed to be the background? Is that what it was supposed to be? Okay, so I gave you the background. So number one, there's the background. Number two, let's dive further into it. We see the splendor of Jesus. We see his splendor. And we start looking here and we look further into here. In verse number two it says, And he was transfigured before them. The word transfigured comes from the word metamorphosis. It's used of the changing of a caterpillar and what it goes through to become a butterfly. It's literally a changing on the outside that comes from the inside. We could say that Jesus changed forms here, but I want you to understand something. The glory of God had been concealed in the manger, and now his glory is revealed to these three up here on this mount. And as we look at this and we see the change that took place, what changes took place? Well, first of all, we see through his countenance. The Bible tells us, it says, and he was transfigured before them. The Bible tells us in Luke 9, 29, the fashion of his countenance was altered. Matthew 17, 2, the other parallel passage to this says, and his face did shine as the sun. Do you remember when Moses went up to be with God in the Old Testament? The Bible says that his face shone, and it shone so much that they wanted to put a veil over his face because the people did, couldn't deal with seeing his face after he had been with God. Well, imagine here as we look at this passage this morning and we see that Jesus, his countenance changed. His face did shine as the sun. Could you imagine on a dark night what this looked like? What was taking place before their very eyes? The transfiguration of Jesus is seen in three ways. First, through his countenance, letter B, through his clothing. His splendor affected his clothing. Verse number three says, His raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fool on earth can white them. The word shining means to glitter, to shine like lightning. So imagine this, the disciples have been sleeping up here. They wake up and they see Jesus in his glory. This dark night. And while they're there, he is glowing, he's shining before them, shining like lightning. Do you see the lightning this last week on Monday? That's pretty crazy. I thought that was crazy. That's pretty neat to be over the stadium where the Chargers beat the Raiders, but we'll leave that out of everything else. That doesn't matter this morning. But as we think about the lightning and we think about how bright it is and we think about Jesus and how bright he is and the Bible says basically that he explodes with glory and this radiance is upon him his brilliance splashes out through his clothes as his humanity is lifted and you notice it says exceeding white 
This is beyond any white clothes you've ever seen before in your life, right? I remember Caroline, when the kids were younger, she did not wear white because they would get it dirty pretty quick. And white clothes, you imagine back in Bible days, and in Bible days, I know the priests and kings, they would wear white garments, but the common person walking around the dirt streets of those days, they didn't wear a whole lot of white because it showed things very easy. And so, and we got a white car. Every little scratch shows up very easy on it. There's a lot of things to it. But as we look at this this morning, we see Jesus for who he truly is. We see in Psalm 104, we see a description of this light. And it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain. I think about the fact that in heaven, the scripture tells us, There will be no sun there because the S-O-N, the sun, will be the light. And up on this mountain, these disciples got to see him in that light. We see his countenance. We see his clothing. We also see a reference in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 14, as John sees Jesus, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. You'll notice also that in our text it says, so as no fuller on earth can white them. No bleach could make Jesus appear, his, his clothing appear as white as it did. There's nothing on earth that could make him look this white. His glory, his majesty is on full display on this mountain. We see the figuration of Jesus. We see it seen this morning through his countenance, through his clothing, and let her see through his companions. As Peter, James, and John are trying to process what's taking place, you see, there are two people, two companions that join Jesus here. Moses and Elias, it says. Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. And isn't it fitting? What did Jesus say about himself in Matthew five seventeen, That he came to fulfill the law and the prophets? This shows as you have Moses and Elijah here, the continual, the continuality between the Old and New Testament. Both Moses and Elijah met with God on mountains and caught a glimpse of his glory in the Old Testament. And now they're standing on a mountain and seeing Jesus Christ in his full glory. The Bible tells us when it comes to Moses that he was buried. Remember, he died. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 34 that no man knows where. And Elijah didn't die, did he? He was taken up to heaven in a chariot. And there's some significance between both of these. You've got to realize some of us will be buried.
will be taken up to heaven in the rapture. What were they doing? What were they talking to Jesus about? The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, that they were talking about, you have that verse, Luke 9, 31? Let's go to Luke 9, 31. Why don't you see it real quick? Luke 9, 31. It says, look at verse number 30. It says, And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decrease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Decrease means death. The word is actually where we get the word exodus from. They came to talk to Jesus about his death. We see, number two this morning, we see the splendor of Jesus. Number three, we see the solution, or Peter's solution. Leave it to Peter. You know that old song, you say it best when you say nothing at all? This would have been a great time to follow that song right there. But the Bible tells us as we continue on, we look at Peter here, in the presence of of the supremacy of Jesus, seen through his countenance, through his clothing, through his companions that are there, Peter doesn't know what to say, but he speaks up anyways. Look at verse number 5. Verse 5 of our text, it says, And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. The phrase, it is good, would be something like we would say today, this is really cool. This is neat. That's what he's saying right here. And so, what was Peter trying to do? Peter, first off, was scared and didn't know what to say, but he had to say something. How many of you are kind of like that? Yeah, my hand goes up too. Sometimes you just got, you know, you might not know what, but you just got to say something, right? And so Peter's solution, as we look at it here, he either wants to prolong this experience, or maybe again he's trying to package the glory of God, similar to where he told Jesus he wasn't going to do the things he's going to do before. But as we look here, verse number 6 tells us the fact, for he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. This literally means to be aghast by dread, to be greatly frightened. They were scared when they saw Jesus for who he was. They, fe- they, they couldn't take it. And sometimes I think we lose the awe and the wonder and the majesty and the glory of who Jesus is. He's God. God in the flesh. Sometimes I think we try to bring God too far down to our level that we forget who He truly is. And we don't see Him for who He truly is. Peter was scared, Peter was talkative in his terror. And then we see what happens next. Number four, we see the supremacy of Jesus. 
we don't know for sure why Peter said what he said other than the fact that he was scared. We do know from verse number 7 that God the Father was very impressed to say something to Peter and to the disciples here. Verse 7 says, And there was a cloud that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Sometimes God has to shut us down a little bit, slow us down a little bit, so we can get what he's trying to teach us. Sometimes we're all amped up, running in circles, and nervously trying to figure everything out. I love what the book of Psalms tells us, chapter 46, verse number 10. Be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the heathen, and I will be exalted in the earth. You notice in this verse, as we look at the supremacy of Jesus, you see a cloud is mentioned twice. Do you see that there? We think back to the Old Testament, and we think about the fact that the cloud represented God's presence, His power, His protection with the children of Israel. It also concealed His glory. Exodus 16, verse number 10, And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35, Then a cloud covered the tent of the, ta- of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation, because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I love how one commentator writes, he said, Peter didn't realize that the real glory of God the manifestation of God's presence was already living in a tent on earth in the body of Jesus Christ. We think of John 1.14, how the Bible tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, what did Peter say? We can make three tabernacles here, right? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter didn't realize the fact the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus already was tenting. He was already tabernacling. He dwelt among us. And as we look at this passage, and as we see these things, what Peter was doing, he was really putting Elijah, Moses, and Jesus on the same playing field, the same plane as Islam does. That's why he wanted to put three tents there. The Father corrects this, and he makes it clear, hey, this is my beloved Son. Referring to Jesus. Jesus was who was important here. And a later time, and we see these things that Jesus, when he was looking up into heaven, the Bible tells us in John 12, 28, he said, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I will both glorify it and will glorify it again. The Father is affirming, and in this passage where Peter has just spoken, the Father is affirming Jesus as the unique Son of God who will suffer, who will die, and who will rise again. That's Jesus. There's another, there's an Old Testament passage that Moses wrote. 
In Deuteronomy 18, verse number 15, it says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brother, and like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And we look at what the Father said here. He said, This is my beloved son. The word beloved could also be translated my dearly, most dear worthy. Instead of being in awe of Elijah, which it would have been a cool thing to see Elijah at this time. Let's get that straight. It would have been cool to see Moses at this time. But you see, this wasn't about Moses. This wasn't about Elijah. This was about Jesus Christ. That's what it was about. And I can tell you, when we get to heaven, it's going to be a great day when we get to see all the Old Testament saints when we get to see our loved ones who've gone on before, but we're not going to be as so concerned about seeing all of them as we are getting to see Jesus. It's going to be all about Him, and praise God for that. And as we look at this reminder, and as we see the emphasis here, the Father says, hey, hear Him. Hear Jesus. Follow what He says. That's what we see. As great as these two Old Testament characters were, which they were, Jesus is on a whole nother level, far above Moses or Elijah. And may I remind you today, as cool as an enc this encounter was, it was more important for James and John and Peter to listen to what Jesus told them to do. You see, you don't have to, and same thing for us today, you don't have to see a vision to have a special dream you don't have to have a special experience you have the book right here just listen to it and do what it says that's what we need to do today that's what we need it's okay to get emotional but you gotta understand it's much better to be obedient just follow what the word of god says as the disciples were processing the splendor and the supremacy of jesus and trying to comprehend his glory and imagine hearing God the Father speak to His Son here, just like He did at His baptism. As we see this, we look at verse number 8, and the Scripture says, And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. All of a sudden, Moses is gone. All of a sudden, Elijah is gone. They're gone. But who is left there? Jesus is left there. And I love that phrase, and that's the title of my message this morning. Save Jesus only. He was the only one left. He's the only one that truly matters. You see, this morning, Jesus Christ, He is the bridge between the Old Testament law and the prophets and the glory of God. He is the only one who can forgive sins. The Bible makes it clear in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You know, this morning, you could go to Mount Tabor there, and they say that's the traditional location of the transfiguration. There are three memorials up there. One to Moses, one to Elijah, and one to Jesus. 
they missed the entire message of the scriptures. There should just be a sign there that says, save Jesus only. I like how Tim Keller, he wrote these words. He said, when Moses encountered God's glory, he reflected the glory of God as the moon reflects the sun. But Jesus produces the unsurpassable glory of God. It emanates from him. Jesus didn't point to the glory of God as Elijah and Moses and every other prophet had done. Jesus is the glory of God in human form. God the Father was telling these guys here, there's only one tabernacle you need. Hey, there's only one prophet you need. You don't need Moses. You don't need Elijah. You don't need no other king. All you need is my beloved son. Hey, this morning, you don't need Joseph Smith. You don't need Brigham Young. You don't need Muhammad. You don't need Buddha. You don't need Dalai Lama, Confucius, Mary Baker, Eddie, the Pope, or anyone. You need Jesus and Jesus only. When faced with the splendor of Jesus, Peter tries to come up with a man-made solution. When the disciples encountered the supremacy of Jesus, we see how they struggled with their response. And we see number five this morning, we see the struggles of the disciples. If we had experienced what the disciples did, we would have wanted to tell everyone. It is something you would never forget. In fact, that's what Peter wrote about 30 years later, right? What were they told to do? First of all, letter A, they were told to be quiet. You notice it says there in verse number 9, And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Sometimes the Bible tells us to do things or to do something that doesn't make sense to us. It's still right to do what God tells you to do. You might look and say, well, why didn't he want people to know? You know, so something that's very interesting here, this is the first time that he put an expiration on when they could tell people. Because there were other times where he told them not to tell anyone, right? This is the first time he told them when they could tell. Do you see that there at the end of verse number 9? It says that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Say, so, well, why wait till then? Because it would all make sense. They were told to be quiet. Second thing we see, letter B, is we see they had questions. And verse number 10 tells us, and they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with, the, with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And to their credit, these guys put in the vault this thing of Jesus being transfigured. They followed what Jesus, they obeyed. But they still had questions. You know, questions are okay. And next weekend, if, we, if the Lord allows and we continue in our series and the Lord doesn't come between now and then, we'll learn about how doubt doesn't disqualify us from the Lord. And aren't you glad for that? Because we all doubt at times. 
But I will tell you when questions become a problem. There are some of us, even some sitting in this room, that get so paralyzed by our questions. We think we have to have everything figured out and know every little thing about God and be fully satisfied with the answers before we'll follow Him. Let me give you a newsflash this morning. You don't have to have anything figured out. Faith comes into play. And if you think you're going to figure Jesus out, let me just help you this morning. You won't. You could be like Peter and try and put him into your own little box. It doesn't work that way with Jesus. He is far greater than our minds can comprehend. That's why when the disciples, when they're on this mountain, they saw Jesus for who he truly was. They were sore afraid. Because they saw him for who he was. Man, my mind goes back to the book of Revelation. And John's on the island of Patmos there by himself. And someone starts talking with him. And he turns. And he doesn't see Jesus that he saw those 33 years that he lived. He sees Jesus who he saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let me help you out this morning as we close. For 33 years or so, the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. God the Son put on flesh. But from all eternity past, through all eternity forward and everything in between. This is who Jesus is. His flesh covered up his glory. But he's should be glorified. He is the Son of God. Co-equal with God. The Savior of the world. As we think about that, and as we close this morning, I want to read you a little phrase from a book, a little bit from a book, one little section. It says, When we lose sight of the majesty of God, we invariably fill the gap in our vision with the fable of the majesty of someone else. We revere a spouse or a leader. We worship our children or a friend. We even give reverence and awe to ourselves, and this is complete folly. Not only is it unwise to give our worship to someone other than God, it's the very definition of irrationality. And it's an exhausting business. There's only room to worship one. Did you notice the theme of our songs this morning? All hail the power of Jesus' name and crown him Lord of all.
In Christ alone, my hope is found. Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, highest praises, honor, and glory be unto your name. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. There's a theme behind the songs this morning. And even you could see how Russ and Joyce, I don't know if they were looking ahead to see if their song fit with the message, but down from his glory, the, the song fit pretty well with the message this morning. And that could have been on an accident, but there are no accidents. God knows what he's doing overall. He is worthy to be worshipped and worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be obeyed this morning. This, I believe, was one of the things that really helped the disciples seeing Jesus for who he truly is. And I hope this morning that as we get ready to leave here today, that you would be in greater awe of him. As you go through this week, our world's a crazy world that we live in. But we serve an awesome God. And he has not changed, nor will he ever change. As we close this morning, I want to read you a few verses from 1 Timothy chapter number 6 as I close with these words. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast, perform, or hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look here. Look at this little benediction here to close out this chapter about Jesus Christ. Which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, oh, there's that light again, right? Which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Father, we thank you for your Son.